The No Sleep Podcast presents the exclusive 10-part audio adaptation of Alexander Gordon Smith's epic tale, This Book Will Kill You. This Book Will Kill You is the story of Tommy Bright, a young woman who dreamt about a witch, a room, and a table full of meat. This is her story. This is about what happens when the witch comes back to finish what she started. But be warned, because this book just might kill you. The Third Part Flint's friend's place is uptown, and we ride the subway from Mendel Street. It's raining out, and I'm almost glad to be underground, glad to be moving. The train's fast, but it rocks from side to side like somebody's got hold of it, like they're trying to pull it back. Twice, I headbutt my own reflection in the window, once hard enough to make me cuss. I sit back, wincing, watching Flint as she hammers out a message on her cell, watching her until she looks up and smiles. Better? She sends the message, then slides the phone into her jeans. You got some color back? Better. I haven't told her about the dream, because there's nothing to say. The whole thing's fading now like breath on a window. Even the meat in the sink is just something left over from Mom's dinner prep. A lump of gristle. It's not the worst thing I've seen in there. Sure you don't want some candy to take the edge off? She pats her jacket. There's a bag of pills in there, mainly downers, but I shake my head like I do every time she offers them. I'm too scared that if I swallow one, I'm just opening up the doors of my dreams to something far worse than a hollow-faced girl. Flint wraps her arm around me, holding me tight. There's a guy across the aisle wearing a bright red God Bless 45 hat and eyeballing us hard. He probably thinks we're lesbians. He's only half wrong, I guess, and Flint's toying with him, putting her hand on my leg and eyeballing him right back until he looks away, shaking his head and pretending to stare out the window. The carriage is near empty, just us and the man and a bunch of high school kids near the back who are quiet enough to let the world know they're not used to being here without their parents. Everybody dances in time with the movement of the train, heads jerking left and right like somebody's got us all on a string. Flint squeezes my knee, then reaches into her bag, pulling out a plastic bottle with the label torn off. She unscrews the cap and takes a swig, the sweet smell of rum hitting me before she passes the bottle. I wave it away. Just Bacardi, poured it myself. Nothing in here but a little bit of relaxed and happy Tommy Bright. Go on. I surrender, swallowing more than I meant to and inhaling it instead. I cough so hard I think I'm turning inside out, all the while Flint's laughing and pounding me on the back. <laughs> Jesus, you absolute rookie. I watch through tears as she slides the bottle back. The train's slowing and Flint bounces up, holding the seat with one hand and offering the other one to me. This is us. Try not to choke to death before we get there. <clears throat> Okay. We hop down from the doors and weave our way through a cluster of people into the rain. 
It's been a while since I've been out in the night, and despite a weighted vest of nerves, I'm drawn to it. The bustle of folk near Edgedown Market, the way the streetlights and the storefronts and the glowing cigarette tips stare at themselves in the puddles. The clouds are low and dark and smothering, but in a good way, in a hide-beneath-the-duvet way. I feel safe as we trip from street to street. I'm almost having fun until we find ourselves in the middle of a pack of neglected apartment buildings, and I hear the thump of music. Flint, you utter douche. Don't say it. She takes my hand and leads me toward a three-story walk-up that's seen better days. The second floor is glowing, and I can see a swell of people through the glass. An ocean of bodies. You said it wasn't a party. It's not. It's a thing. Come on. Seriously. I stop because there's a cannonball lodged beneath my ribs. The air's electric with my anxiety. I can feel it radiating from me like a beacon. No. It's a party. I'm sorry. He told me it was a thing. Honest to God. But we're here. And I want you to come, Tommy. I need you to be there for me. She doesn't need me. She never needs me. Not anymore. Not since she stopped being Allie and started being Flint. But the pouting look on her face helps dislodge some of the weight on my chest. If I convince myself I'm here for her, then it makes it easier. She beams, squeezing my hand and pulling me through the door into a trash and people-strewn corridor. A couple of them look at me, but most have their eyes on Flint. She's good at getting attention. Just have a couple drinks, enjoy the music, the company, live a little bit of life outside your head for once. Scary outside my head. We head up the stairs. Scarier inside it. Whatever else she says is lost in the bone-shaking thump of the music when she opens the stairwell door. Ahead's a short corridor, four apartments leading off from it. Two doors are open and Flint goes for the nearest. There's too many people to move in here. A hundred of them, maybe. Most of them jumping up and down. I'm amazed the building's still standing. And suddenly I've got another thing to add to my list of worries. Being buried alive. I'm so convinced it's going to happen, I don't want to leave the safety of the stairwell. But Flint's pulling me along like I'm a stubborn dog. And I don't have any choice but to follow her. There's no way I'm ending up on my own here. Not that I have much choice in the matter. Marcel! Her hand lets go of mine. The crowd swallows her whole, gulps her down. The dancers as hard as teeth as I try to push past them. Somebody else grabs my hand. A guy with a silver-toothed grin, reeling me in. I tug free, turning my back on him. The music is a hammer, and I'm a nail, vanishing into the bare wooden floor one beat at a time. I turn again, looking for the stairs, but utterly lost. It's too dark, too loud, and I'm... Come on! Flint reaches for me through the throng. She leads me deeper into the madness. Then we go through a door, and I'm suddenly free of it. It's a bedroom. Just a handful of people here sitting on the floor in a haze of sweet-smelling smoke. One of them's a guy I half-recognize from something else Flint once dragged me to. He nods at me, taking a drag on his joint. So yeah, like I was saying, I ended up stranded there all night. Anyway, you've met Tommy, right? Right. 
Marcel's word is long and forged of smoke. You got plenty, sister. Pull up a pew. I shake my head, but Flint speaks for me. She won't touch it, but I will. Here. She hands me the rum, and I stand there with it in my hand like I've never seen a plastic bottle before. Flint takes it back, unscrews the cap, holds it to my lips. 50 cc's of fun, stat. I take a small sip, keeping the bottle. It's a start, but it's something. Just stay for a while, yeah? If you feel a panic attack coming on, just say. We can go anytime, I promise. I've felt a panic attack coming on since I left my goddamned house, but I do my best to smile at her. She slides down the wall next to Marcel and snatches his joint, taking a hit. I don't know what to do with my eyes, or my arms, or anything else, so I just take another tiny sip of rum, feeling it in my nose, behind my eyes. I pull out my cell, a message from mom saying not to be too late. No notifications on Facebook or Insta, but I check them all anyway because it uses up some time. Like, ten seconds of time. I have no idea what to do next because a guy across the room is trying to talk to me, and I'm doing everything I can not to make eye contact. I angle myself away from him, staring back out the door, into the crowd. And that's when I see her. That's when I see the dead girl. Kara Pierce. By the time I get to the door, she's gone. Not gone, of course, because she was never really there. Dead girls don't party. All the same, I push up on my tiptoes and stare through the crowd, through the heaving mass of bodies, through the smoke, through the trembling music-filled air. It's her. It has to be. She's walking away from me, moving around people as fluidly as water. Her hair is styled in a perfect pixie cut, dyed electric blue. She's wearing a neon pink halter top which reveals the small of her back, faded hipster jeans. For a moment, it looks like she's turning back, but before I can get a good look at her, somebody appears in the doorway, pushing past me, shouting something so loud it makes my ears ring. I wait for them to pass before heading out. The dead girl, Kara, I tell myself. Her name's Kara, has gone again, and I'm in such a rush to find her that I walk right into someone. He's too drunk or too high to notice. They're all too drunk or high, grinning like idiots, all moving exactly the same way. I get the feeling I'm inside an engine, the cogs and gears grinding in perfect harmony. At least until somebody grabs my arm, and I turn to see the man from the room I've just left. The frat boy who was trying to talk to me. You're going too fast. His grip is too tight. I tug once, twice, and on the third go, he releases me. What? Too fast? I thought you wanted to dance. Here's good. I shake my head, start walking again. Is that a flash of electric blue up ahead? It's heading for the exit, and I barge and shove and curse my way after it. By the time I get to the front door, I'm soaked with the drink and other people's sweat, and the coolness of the corridor is welcome. There are a few people out here, but not many. Did a girl just leave? Short? Blue hair? I'm talking to nobody in particular, 
and nobody in particular answers me. There's only three other apartments on this floor, but the stairwell door is open and I can hear footsteps. I chase them out, listen to them echoing above and below and all around, like there's an army marching in here. I stare over the banister, seeing nothing, then look up and catch a flash of pink ghosting up the stairs. I'm halfway to calling out, but I don't, running instead, not quite brave enough to take the concrete steps two at a time. There's the sound of a door opening, and when I turn the corner, I see it swinging slowly shut. There are no more floors after this one, so I follow the sound of the dead girl into the third floor corridor. It's harder than it sounds, because there are no lights on up here. The door opens onto nothing but darkness. Hey? The music from downstairs is muted, like there's a ton of insulation in the floor. It's quiet enough that I can hear the pop and whine of a camera flash right in my ear. I wiggle a finger in it, wondering why I didn't see the light. Who the hell is taking photos up here? Fumbling my cell out, I fire up the flashlight and shine it through, seeing a short corridor, four doors, and Kara. She's facing away from me, standing right in the corner so close to the wall that it looks like she's got her head pressed against the peeling wallpaper. It's so dark in here, even with my flashlight, that it looks like she's in black and white, like she's just stepped out of an old photograph. Even her hair looks washed out, gray. Hello, I say, not quite enough to make it a word. Kara doesn't move, but I can hear her talking, whispering. That awful, sucking sensation of deja vu grabs me. I think she's going to turn around and there's going to be nothing where her face is but a hole. I'm backing away before I'm even aware of it, but my ass hits the door and it cracks against the wall, and suddenly the dead girl turns to look at me. Fuck, what the hell? She squints against the light, but it's her. It's definitely Kara. Who is that? You're blinding me. I'm sorry. I swing the phone down. I... I have absolutely nothing. I see the shape of the girl approaching me through the dark, as smooth as a ship in the night, pushing a wave of heat in front of it. I stand back to let her out the door, but she hovers in it, just enough light for me to see the blue, shoulder-length hair, the boyish face. She's wearing a pink halter top and jeans, but that's about all that could possibly be mistaken for Kara. What the hell are you doing up here? Her body is as tense as a cobra's, like she's going to snap out and shove me down the stairs. Nothing. I got lost. I saw you. Thought you were here for the party. I'm sorry. I thought you were somebody else. I smile, and she relaxes. There's a cell phone in her hand, and she holds it between us like she's offering it. Came to see if I could get a signal. This piece of crap don't get nothing. Yours work? Um, yeah. I lift it up and accidentally shine it in her face again. She's less like Kara than ever. I don't know how I could have made the mistake. You can use it if you like. Make up for the fact I almost gave you a heart attack? Nah. Thanks, though. I'm Megan. Tommy. With an I. Thomason. It's a girl's name. Some people think I'm a guy if I don't, you know, tell them that. Sorry, I have no idea what I'm saying. I'm rambling because my heart's beating so fast. 
firing out words like bullets. Megan's mouth curls up a fraction of an inch. Okay, Tommy, who's not a guy. It was nice meeting you. Yeah, you too. I stand aside to let her pass, and she makes it to the top step before stopping, not looking back. Who do you think I was? Nobody. I mean, somebody you couldn't have been. Somebody impossible. Somebody dead? The eruption of goose flesh is almost crippling. I open my mouth to deny it, but what's the point? A girl. Her name was Kara. She seems to deflate. Suddenly old. Suddenly small. I think she's going to fall and I reach out for her. But she straightens. Turns to me. She looks guilty. You knew her? I don't know you. I knew of her. I mean, it's complicated. You knew her? She nods, plucking at her top. I knew I shouldn't have worn it, but it felt right. Felt like I was bringing her with me. A bit of her, at least. She looks over my shoulder, thinking for a moment before meeting my eye. You're the second person tonight. It's the hair as well, I think. We dyed it together. I'm her sister. (laughs) By another mister. We're not related. We just grew up together. People say you spend enough time with somebody, you start looking like them. Guess it's true. I'm sorry. Sorry she... She waves away my silence, and I realize she's had more than a few drinks. Shit happens. Kara had more than her fair share of it. It just doesn't make any sense. You only get one shot. She spent hers bitching about everything. Scared of everything. You said you knew her? I... yeah. From school. She's drunk enough not to question it. Her foot hovers over the top step, and she looks past me again, right over my shoulder. It's like... Why would somebody as smart and funny and pretty as her do those things? Why'd she take it out on herself? The cuts? Megan cocks her head, her dark eyes boring into me. You know about them? Yeah. She uh, used to cut herself. Her and her boyfriend. Right? You know about him? How? Uh, Like my mom... My mom told me. Didn't everyone know? I didn't even know. That bitch, I was supposed to be her best friend. Do you know where he is? I hope they lock him up for life. You think he was involved? She shakes her head. He was with me the night it happened. Not like that. We were at a party. I had no idea they were seeing each other. No idea they were doing that stuff together. Uh, How'd your mom even know... There's a sound like a gunshot downstairs. A crashing wave of screams, then an ebb of laughter. Megan sighs, looking at her cell like it's got all the answers. You know where Tanner is? Nobody's seen him since the cops took him in. He's gonna get away with it. I know it. Get away with it? With what? I thought he was with you. But Megan isn't listening. Stupid bitch. Wasted her whole goddamn life on a game. Her whole goddamn life. Another firecracker pop flicks me in the ear, then a whole burst of them. 
The walls light up. Somebody's letting off fireworks in the stairwell. I don't even have the urge to run. I'm not even picturing myself stuck up here in the inferno, burning to death. It's been pushed aside by something else. Something even more primal. Even more powerful. A need for answers. Game? What game? And you don't know everything. Megan flashes me a smug smile. Tanner introduced her to it. Maybe you should ask him. She starts down the stairs, and I call her name to stop her. What game? She looks back, but again, she's not looking at me. She's looking past me. The game. Her game. And I swear, I hear a quiet sigh. Feel a breath on the back of my neck. I spin around, the door right behind me, wide open and leeching darkness. There, in the corridor beyond, right in the corner where Megan had been standing, a pile of shadow and dirt, a grinning lump of night, gone as soon as I swing my phone flashlight up. Ask Tanner! Megan's already out of sight. Tell that asshole he's as good as dead if I find him! Then ask him. Ask him about the witch. I don't even stop to find Flint. I just barrel down the stairs, through the choking black smoke of the firecrackers, through the lipless grins and the barking laughter and the unblinking eyes and the endless numbing beat of the music. I run down flight after flight after flight of stairs. Surely too many. Like, there's another three stories beneath the building, until I see the main door and throw myself out onto the street. Ask him about the witch. Her words have literally taken my breath away. There's no air here. The clouds seem even lower, full of night, smothering. I have to put my hands on top of a car and force my lungs to inflate. But even then, it's like sucking in carbon monoxide until after the fourth breath when I feel the oxygen hit my veins, my brain. I rest my head on the cold metal, close my eyes, and just breathe, 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 until the giant's fist around my ribs grows loose. You okay? I grunt a reply, but I don't have what it takes to lift my head to see who it is. You're too slow. This time I look up, squinting at the girl who's walking away from me. What? She stops. You okay? Just checking. There are some real assholes up there. They're spiking drinks. Be careful is all. I'm okay. I realize I'm still holding Flint's bottle. I put it on top of the car, pressing my hands into my eyes until more firecrackers erupt inside my skull. When I look again, the girl is halfway down the street, her arm looped through a guy's. Inside the apartment, the people still rise and fall like they've melted together, like they're being churned in some vast oven. I look at the windows of the third floor, but they're utterly blind. They may as well have been painted black. I can't leave Flint, but I do. Nothing will make me walk back inside that apartment. And besides, once Flint's on a rail, it's impossible to make her stop. I should never have come in the first place. I set off, heading back for the subway, stopping when I realize I've left the bottle on the car. It sounds stupid, but I go back for it. 
There's some of me in that bottle now, and I don't want it anywhere near the house. Anywhere where the darkness at the top of those stairs can reach it. It's only when I get to the subway station that I chuck it in the trash, and even that leaves me worrying for the whole ride home. It's only just after nine when I close the front door behind me, and I'm happy that Mom and Donnie are still up. I holler out a hello, heading for the kitchen and pouring myself a juice. The sink is clean, not even a smudge of blood, but the counter is still covered in breadcrumbs. I look for a towel so I can clean them up myself, but before I can, I hear Mom thumping down the stairs. She's in her bathrobe, a towel wrapped around her hair, and she's going so fast she misses the last step, cussing as she limps past me. You okay? I can see her lip trembling. What's wrong? I'm not sure why she's so worried. It's not like I've been gone long. She stops by the island, her hands on the back of a stool, strands of wet hair hanging down the back of her robe like seaweed. Her skin's puffed up like she's been floating in the ocean for a week. Were you in the bath? All this time? She looks at me like it's the stupidest question in the world but her brows crease the way it is sometimes when she's stressed. She looks at her hands, picks something out of her nail, then shivers. Helps me relax. Where have you been? Out. With Flint. Some stupid thing. She wanted to stay. I didn't. Pretty tired after today. You want food? She opens the fridge and stares inside. (sighs) Not much in there. There's enough for a sandwich. I'm fine. I'm chewing on a question. One I don't really know if I want answered. But my skull's full of cracks, and I need to fill them in. So I just ask. Look, Mom. About earlier. About Kara. Still? Forget about her. It doesn't matter. It wasn't just you that killed her. No. I say, feeling a little like she's gut-punched me. No, not that. I shake my head, half hoping I just heard her wrong. About what you were telling me, this afternoon, about Kara hurting herself. What about it? I'm wishing I hadn't drunk the juice. It's mixing with the rum in my empty stomach, and I'm belching battery acid. How did you know all that? About the cuts and boyfriend and stuff. She looks at me like I'm an idiot, but that crease still slices her forehead in two. She opens her mouth, closes it, opens it again. Everybody knew? Except Kara's sister from another mister, I think. Her best friend. But you didn't even know her. Who told you those things? Her mouth's moving like a fish again. She closes the fridge, moves to the sink, and for an awful second I think she's going to start moving her finger around in there, tracing patterns in blood. But she just rinses her hands, drying them on a towel. I just... I just know she's bad news. Who told you? Mom turns to me, and I can see the answer bubbling beneath the worry. She doesn't know. She doesn't remember. I hold up my hands. It doesn't matter. She's bad news, I know. I wait to see if there's anything else. But she stares me out of the kitchen, and I head upstairs. Donnie's coming out of the bathroom, toothpaste smeared over his bottom lip. Night, dork. Night, dick. I reply, our bedtime routine. 
He walks into his room and slams the door, and I head into mine. I'm worried it won't actually feel like mine anymore, after earlier, but it's just my room, my stuff, my smell. I sit on the bed and wrestle my Doc Martens off, then shuffle up to the headboard and pick up my laptop. I know, I know, I should leave it well alone, but questions are like a hole in your soul, and right now I feel like I'm leaking out through them, that I'm losing myself. I open it up, wait for it to notice I've woken it. The battery's low, the screen on energy-saving mode, so dark I can barely see it. Pinch is still there. It feels like a million years since I read the story, and I snap the window closed before it creeps into me again. It's the last thing I want in my head before I go to sleep. I open up a fresh window and load Facebook, tapping out a rhythm on the laptop shell until I work up the courage to search for Kara Pierce's page again. She's right where I left her, like nobody's noticed she's dead yet. But it's not her I'm interested in. Her relationship status is listed as, it's complicated, so I click on her friend list instead, searching for Tanner. There are two of them, and one is in his 40s and dressed in dad shorts. The other greets me with a two-white smile and perfect hair. He's young and tanned, and if he doesn't play football and chug beer and dream of following his dad into the stock market, then I'll eat this laptop whole. He's not the kind of guy I thought I'd see Kara with. Not at all. And I wonder if that's the reason nobody knew about them. Or maybe Tanner didn't want the rest of the team to know he was dating the weird writer chick. I click on his photo, the cursor spinning while my laptop has another mini stroke. Down the hall, I hear a sound like somebody in water. The squeak of flesh on plastic. Like mom still in the bath but I can hear her coming up the stairs, too, and she walks past my door a second later with a mug of tea in her hand. Sleep, child. That thing will kill you. Night, Mom. Sleep well. She stops, framed in the door, says something that I can't hear, something that sounds like slow. Then she's gone, her door clicking shut behind her. Tanner's looking at me. His page has loaded. I scroll through his photos, stopping on one with him and Megan. It's after she dyed her hair, so pretty recent, and they're obviously at a party because there's a wall of people behind them. Kara's there too, but all you can see of her over Megan's shoulder is her electric blue hair and one wide, angry eye. I wonder if Megan and Tanner were seeing each other too, or if Megan was just jealous of her friend, wanted to be like her. That would explain the hair, the clothes. Megan's staring at me, and I feel suddenly guilty for even thinking it, so I click through the rest of the photos. Tanner running, Tanner smoking a blunt with his buddies, Tanner in his football gear, then scroll down the rest of his page. His posts stop completely on the day that Kara died, but there's one last thing on his page, left there by somebody else two days later. Facebook user posted a photo on your page, but there's no photo, no text, no likes, and only one comment. Facebook user commented on this post, Tubby, which sparks something in my head, but I can't think what. 
I scroll back up, stare at his profile picture. Tell me about the witch, I say. And this time I know I just imagined the pop of a camera flash in my ear, even though it was loud enough to make my skull buzz. I'm cold all over. I wish I hadn't said it. I close the laptop before realizing I don't want him next to me all night. When I open it again, though, I don't click the window closed. I click the message icon instead. I need to talk to you, I write. Then I delete it and write, Somebody told me to talk to you. About Kara. I delete that too and type, Can we meet? And I post it. I stare at it for a moment and the red notification appears beneath my words. He's not replying, though. There's no ellipsis. Please, I write. Red. It's important. Red. I wonder if he's looking at my page now, at my photos, seeing all those smiles, the real ones and the fake ones. I wonder if he'll see the links to creepy.com and put two and two together. It's about Kara, I write, but when I type enter, the site reloads to an error page. I click refresh, then try to navigate back to Tanner's page. User not found. I search for him again, but there's just Dad Tanner in his shorts. No sign of those white teeth, those dark eyes. Somebody's watching me. It's like a hammer blow to my heart. I look up to see Mom framed in my bedroom door, a mug of steaming tea in her hand, her hair wrapped in a towel. Sleep, child. That thing will kill you. You said that already. She shuffles off, her door closing behind her. I look back to the laptop, but the battery has died. There's just a black screen and another me trapped inside it, hollow-eyed and dark. This book will kill you. Written by Alexander Gordon Smith. Adapted for audio by Jessica McAvoy. Produced for the No Sleep Podcast by Phil Mykolski. Musical score composed by Brandon Boone. This book will kill you. The third part. Starred Jessica McAvoy as Tommy Bright. Kristen D. Mercurio as Flint. Matthew Bradford as Marcel. Kaya Lakers as the frat boy, Sarah Thomas as Megan, Wafia White as the passerby, Erica Sanderson as the witch, Dan Zapula as Donnie, and Aaron Lillis as Tommy's mother. Join us next week for This Book Will Kill You, The Fourth Art. This audio program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media Inc. All rights reserved. No reproduction or use of this content is permitted without the expressed written consent of Creative Reason Media Inc. The copyright for This Book Will Kill You is held by Alexander Gordon Smith.